Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, today was the official announcement uh, coming from the longest-serving female senator in United States history, Senator Dianne Feinstein, 89-year-old Democratic senator from California, uh, made it official today that she will not be running for re-election in 2024. Of course, the race for her seat uh, has already begun uh, well before the announcement today. But we wanted to dig in a little bit in terms of her legacy and uh, what is uh, what her influence has been on the United States Senate. And we're really pleased to have joining us today Jennifer Hepperkorn, who covers Congress in Washington, D.C. for the Los Angeles Times and has some familiarity there. And uh, Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Boyd. Uh, so as you look at the uh, the legacy of Senator Feinstein, I don't know how you can uh, capture that in a uh, small increment, but what are some of the things that stand out to you in terms of uh, what she did, what she accomplished there in the United States Senate? Sure. Um, she's been in the Senate for 30 years, and during that time, you know, I think um, two policy positions that people will most associate with her are the release of the CIA torture report. Um, this was the report that, you know, the George W. Bush administration and later the Obama administration really did not want made public. The intelligence community did not want made public. But she um, uh, put out there that the CIA was engaging in, uh, in, in torture. Um, and then the other most significant policy piece of her legacy is the 10-year ban on assault weapons. You know, this was enacted in 1994, expired 10 years later, but it was a ban on assault weapons that, you know, she and many other Democrats would hope to revive. And, you know, I think politically um, her her most significant legacy is one of the earliest and uh, most accomplished female senators. You know, when she first ran for office in 92, it was the year of the Anita Hill hearings, which really shone a light on the fact that there were no women on the Senate Judiciary Committee. There were two female senators, and now there's 25. And many of them uh, uh, attribute a lot of that to people like her. Yeah, no question about it. We've been talking uh, here today uh, about her work on the Judiciary Committee. And, of course, two Utah senators have played a, a big role on the judiciary, both with Senator Mike Lee and former Senator Orrin Hatch. And uh, they actually both have great uh, had great relationships with Senator Feinstein and tag-teamed on uh, a lot of things that often didn't get the headlines. Uh, I know uh, she and Senator Lee were office, often focusing on the indefinite detect, detention uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, she had a lot of bipartisan work uh, with Senator Hatch as well during his long tenure there. Uh, give us a, a sense of that. I think everybody, 
uh, I think everybody loved to talk to her. Like she was so smart and so knowledgeable on so many things that she was just like this well you'd go to uh, when you really wanted to talk through an issue seriously. Yeah, you know, she had a, a good relationship with a lot of Republicans. Um, you know, some of that is her politics. She's one of the most uh, moderate Democrats, which is somewhat ironic coming from California. But she's kind of of this bygone era um, uh, uh, in which, you know, there were a lot of bipartisan relationships, particularly on the Judiciary Committee. Um, you know, uh, Senator Hatch in particular was a, a senior member of the panel when she was there and, um, you know, they were both people who who really enjoyed, you know, bashing the other side sometimes, <laughs> but also working together on things that they could. Um, and and so she was kind of one of the senators that many Republicans went to when they were looking for a Democrat. And the same thing when she was looking uh, to, to build bipartisan support went to went to Republicans like that. Yeah, that's such an important part and such a great model, I think, of, of how you go about it in a way where you, you don't have to just bash and trash the other side. But there are some some places where you can actually get some important work done. Uh, give us a little sense now. Obviously, uh, there are uh, a, uh, a long and growing list of people who would like to take that seat for the state of California. Uh, give us a sense of, of what that looks like and how uh, people are navigating that uh, both prior to this and then obviously with today's announcement, the game changes a little bit more. But what does that look like? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, you know, uh, very few people expected Senator Feinstein to run for an additional term. So in some way, this announcement was uh, not a surprise. You know, she is 89 years old, the oldest senator. She had raised very little money, um, uh, uh, no money, essentially, for, for the 24 campaign. So no one was expecting her to run again. But given her longevity in the state, um, you know, everyone was still kind of waiting for her to make this announcement. Um I should say not everybody, but almost everybody. Um, uh, Congress, two members of Congress have already announced that they're going to run for the seat. Adam Schiff and Katie Porter, both of Southern California. Um, Barbara Lee of the Bay Area is expected to jump into the race and many others. You know, uh, California Senate seat does not come around very often. Um, and, you know, every Democrat, every ambitious Democrat, I should say, you know, has to consider whether they want to go for this right now. And, um, you know, and so in some way, this, the race is already underway. Um, Schiff and Porter are um, uh, considered the front runners right now, mostly because they have the most name recognition and the most money. Um, but that could change, you know, quickly if one of these, um, it, uh, you know, California has had many rich people run for office before to to mixed results. Uh, I should say mostly negative results, but that might not stop anyone from jumping into the race, and they could be formidable. Um, but yeah, I would say that Schiff and Porter right now are, are assumed to be the front runners. And remember, California has an open uh, system, so the um, the two people on the ballot could very likely be both Democrats. Um, so far, we don't have a big name Republican who's jumped in, jumped into the race. 
But again, that could change before the primary next March. Yeah, and you mentioned the the campaign cash. Uh, I'm seeing estimates uh, from some of my sources down there that uh, it's going to be in the 40 to 50 million uh, range for that kind of statewide. A lot of expensive uh, markets <laughs> for advertising, uh, so it's going to take uh, either really prolific fundraising. Uh, or uh, as you said, some some deep pockets from somebody really wealthy, and I and I do think that uh, Senator Feinstein should get a gold medal. Uh, it has to be a record for a sitting senator to have a quarter uh, where she only raised six hundred dollars. <laughs> One contribution <laughs> that has to be a record of some sort. Uh, but uh, great insight, and we'll continue to watch this, and uh, we'll continue to come back to you for some insight on the, this race, which I think is going to be absolutely fascinating, and I think will be a, a big indicator on some of the other things going on nationally as well as in the state of California. Uh, Jennifer Habercorn uh, covers Congress in Washington, D.C. for the Los Angeles Times. And Jennifer, thanks for carving out some time for us today. Great to talk with you. Take care. All right. Uh, again, uh, always interesting to get that perspective. And, man, can you imagine having to raise 40 to $50 million for a Senate race? Uh, that is big. We talk about some of the money that's flowed here through the state of Utah. Uh, it is just a drop in the bucket of the bucket <laughs> compared to California when it comes to those markets. So we'll continue to watch that. And again, I think uh, Senator Feinstein, uh, you can love or hate her politics or where she sat, uh, but I think she was a pragmatist in so many ways uh, and was able to get some really important bipartisan work done, uh, including work here with our senators in the state of Utah. And uh, so that matters and that makes a difference. And we need more models like that who are willing to come to the table and if nothing else, have a really intelligent conversation about defining the problem and exploring the solutions. All right, we'll step aside for some bottom of the hour news, but stick around. Next, we're going to talk about the exodus from Russia, what it means and how it plays out. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.